This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a documentary filmmaker searches out contactees from around the globe and recounts his first childhood UFO encounter. I got kind of scared and I thought, this thing's stalking me. This thing is going back and forth and it's looking at me. And I'm literally saying my prayers for my mom to get there quickly. This podcast is brought to you by BrightBiz. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com to grab your copy. I know there are a lot of websites out there. They offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in some recurring program. Don't worry. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. Brightbiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting their best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. Freebusinesstoolbox.com. That's freebusinesstoolbox.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. I'm guessing by now you're all aware of what happened up here in Toronto last week. A horrible, horrible crime. A very angry and deranged young man in a van drove up onto the sidewalk in the north end of the city and ran uh, dozens of people over. Young, old, men, women, indiscriminate. A 10 dead, 14 injured. This happened about 10 minutes from where I'm sitting. 
I'm just across the Toronto city limits in Thornhill. This happened at a busy intersection uh, in in North York, uh, Young and Finch. Uh, in fact, I drop the mighty Aphrodite off there several times a week so she can catch the train or the subway downtown. And, uh, well, of course, we're all very heartbroken and stunned and holding on to our loved ones just a little bit tighter these days. Uh, not that we should need an excuse to do that. Hold our loved ones, I mean. Uh, anyway, I'm afraid we're going to be hearing a lot more about this strange incel rebellion. Uh, angry, lonely, isolated, spurned uh, men lashing out at society. Angry at women because they're alone and angry at sexually active men because they're not sexually active. Involuntary celibacy. Now, there's a, a violent expression for that, too. Welcome to the uh, the post-Christian world, folks. Uh, for too many, life has no meaning, nor does anyone else's. Uh, existence is random. There's no God. There's no afterlife. There are no rules. There are no consequences. Well, I'm not sure how to transition from that to UFOs, except to say that sometimes when confronted by senseless, random violence such as this, the best thing to do uh, is to hunker down and delve further into the search for meaning. For some of us, that's seeking a, a closer connection to the Almighty. For some, it also includes the search for intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. And with that in mind, uh, some real heavyweights in the field of ufology will be assembling all under one roof at this year's Alien Cosmic Expo up at the Toronto Airport Marriott Hotel, June 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Uh, Richard Dolan, Stanton Friedman, Linda Moulton Howe, it's a who's who, Grant Cameron, Victor Vigiani, Chris Stiles, Kathleen Martin, uh, many others. I'll be there Sunday, June 24th, to moderate a speaker's roundtable on disclosure. Uh, so aliencosmicexpo.com is the website for more information. Aliencosmicexpo.com, you can also order your tickets there. Someone else that will be there screening the trailer for his new documentary, Making Contact, Be Inspired, is the name of it. It's Rob Freeman. Rob is a senior field researcher at the Center for the Scientific Study of Atmospheric Anomalies, and he is the executive producer of the documentary film called Making Contact, Be Inspired. Rob Freeman, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Great. And yourself, Richard? Just terrific. Thank you. And looking forward to the Alien Cosmic Expo coming up June 22, 23, 24. I'm going to be there moderating a panel on the Saturday. That would be June the 23rd. You're going to be on board as well. What What is your role at this year's ACE? Yeah, we're doing a couple things. We're going to have a booth there where we'll, we'll have all the equipment, all the sky watching equipment that we use, and we'll be actually promoting our upcoming documentary. Uh, so in addition to that, I think we're going to be asked to speak a little bit about the sighting that we saw last July in Squamish, B.C. It was the so-called Squamish Orb. Oh, yes. I want so, to talk to you uh, about that in, in a little more in depth. Uh, over the next half hour. But uh, so yeah, let, let's talk about the, the documentary, first of all, uh, Making Contact, Be Inspired. And I mean, you've traveled hither and yon, something like, is it 12 countries, 30 cities? Uh, yeah, actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's 11 countries and over 30 cities in over the last three years. And it's actually been a lot of fun, very exciting. 
incredibly interesting, and we've seen a lot of strange things. So who who do you meet, and what do you ask them? Well, okay, so let me try to start from square one here. Our producers, Mark McNabb and Lisette Gorin, uh, it was actually Mark's idea for this whole thing in the beginning, based on what I saw when I was a kid. I happen to be talking to him about this. But they basically make contact with different people around the world and just chit-chat with people who have had experiences. And before you know it, we get invites, and we get our air tickets, and we travel. And they usually set up groups of people, you know, like, like CE5 groups, things like that. And we go out and we spend time with them and we see stuff. And they tell us all about their experiences. We're in the field while we're waiting for things to happen. We talk, we interview, and it's just a very interesting time. And then we come back and put the footage together. Now, we should, you should explain uh, the term when you say a CE5 group. Explain that. Okay, there's uh, Stephen Greer, Dr. Stephen Greer coined the term CE5. And you may have to correct me if I'm wrong, but CE5 implies a communication, I believe, with um, ETs of some kind. I have to look that one up on Wikipedia. Well, that makes sense. So obviously there's a a, a level of of close encounters. Uh, One might be a, a sighting. One might be... Uh, a sighting that's some sort of a, a craft on the ground. Another one might be, you know, a, a craft with some sort of an entity. So it, it it kind of depends on the degree or the intensity, I suppose, of the experience. This numerical, um, you know, the way that the, 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 that 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 the contact is quantified. That's right. And I know that Dr. Stephen Greer kind of coined the term CE five. And uh, so there's many CE5 groups around the world that go out and try to, you know, make contact. And let me read here as we're talking. I'm just looking it up here. And CE5 is a term describing a fifth category of close encounters with extraterrestrial intelligence, ETI, characterized by mutual bilateral communication rather than unilateral contact. So that's kind of what he describes as CE5. And I've actually been on uh, an expedition with Dr. Greer and uh, about 25 other people. I think he puts one or two on per year. We had one in uh, that I went to in Durango, Colorado, where we saw a number of things. There were things seen right amongst us, and I know that's hard to believe. We had lights flashing in the trees like almost like a flashbulb going off. And we had things seen further out. I know there was a uh, spiral thing seen on the horizon that we did a time time exposure, and when you looked at the time exposure, it looked like a corkscrew moving. I mean, there's a lot of incredible things out there that, that most people really don't have any idea of. But we try to hook up with people who are so-called you know, align themselves as CE5 groups because they go out regularly, these different groups of people, just ordinary people, and they wait and they see stuff. They do meditations. They seem to make contact. They seem to attract these other 
things, you know, whether they're beings, whether they're ETs, I have no idea. All I know is that we get invited, we meet with these people, we set up the equipment, and we see stuff, and I record it. And how how frequently are you actually capturing some uh, aerial anomalous object? Uh, is it half the time, 10% of the time, most of the time? Well, you know, I would say you... How would I describe it? There's a lot of sort of garden variety things that are seen. And, you know, like they say, you know, 80% of what you see is probably explainable. And then when you get down to the 20%, you're getting down to the narrow end of the funnel. And there's probably something like 5% that's truly, truly unexplainable and may be considered something that's otherworldly. So we see a lot of stuff and we are our own biggest debunkers so that, you know, you might get excited and you think it's something, but really when you start debunking it, a lot of stuff gets scratched off. But ultimately, maybe about um, four or five times in a year, we'll actually see something totally authentic. I mean, I've got a photo that I took with my iPhone. I'd have to send it to you, but it is something that appears to be coming into or going out of our dimension, and it's got, like, detail on it, and um, it's like when you see that, you know it's nothing that we have. But to get those kind of shots, it's not common. You've got to have a lot of patience. You've got to meet with a lot of people, hang out for hours, and... You know, you see a lot of stuff, but when you narrow it right down, the real authentic stuff is fairly rare, I guess. And if you spend the time and you meet the people, you will see stuff. You just don't see it every night, that's all. Do you, I guess this will lead into your experience, I I think you were 12. Do you include yourself in that CE5 group? Are you a CE5? Uh, CE5 just, I mean, I'm not formally part of any group, but we do sort of believe in that CE5 term where you can attract ETs. Right, that's what I I guess I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can. I didn't believe it at first, but I know when I explained to uh, Mark McNabb, you know, he's a producer, we did other movies together, and during those times when you're waiting around, we you tell stories, and I had told him the story of what I'd seen as a kid. He went and did research, and he came back to me months later, and he says, you know, we got to do a documentary on this. we got to follow this around the world. He said, I believe what happened to you as a kid, you actually attracted the, ET, the ETs, the, you know, the crafts that you saw, you actually attracted it with your friend on that roof. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Well, let's get into and it. Never, let's, let's get into yeah. what you saw. This is uh, was, was this in London, Ontario? No, Sarnia, Ontario, down at the bottom of Sarnia. Uh, Lake okay. Huron. There, right. yeah, Sarnia, Blue Water Bridge, and so on. Uh, what had happened originally when I was twelve? I was at Scouts. Uh, my mom had said, you know, when you're done scouts, just call on the phone and I'll come and pick you up and I'll be about 10 or 15 minutes to get there. Scouts was over. It was a Monday night, might've been nine thirty, And I called her and I says, you know, we're done scouts. She says, okay, they have to lock the church there. St. Andrew's church, Presbyterian church on uh, between front and Christina streets in Sarnia. She said, they got to lock the church. You go outside the back door. Once you go out, it'll be locked. So you just go outside the back and wait on Front Street, and I will be along to pick you up. And uh, I thought, that's great. So I went outside and was waiting for my mom to arrive. There were some kids playing in the street. Now, you know, people wouldn't let their kids at that age play in the street these days, but they were maybe mm, seven or eight years old. And I was standing there. The one kid said to me, hey, mister. There's a helicopter up in the sky. And I look up, and I'm thinking, there's no sound. That's not a helicopter. And I told the kids, I said, that's not a helicopter. And they said to me, what is it? I says, I don't know. So I stood there watching this thing. And this was in uh, March of, uh, let's see, uh, 1966. This was during the big flap of Michigan and so on. There's lots of history around that. And I was watching this thing. The kids disappeared. I'm watching this thing, and it's slowly going from the north to the south over the river. And as I look up, and I estimated it to be about 800 to 1,000 feet up, it was this bright light. And it was going slowly from north to south. The strange thing was, when it changed directions... It was in an instant. In other words, if you blinked your eye, you would all of a sudden see it was going in the other direction. And I said to myself, that's impossible. And this was well before the internet and video games. This is, you know, almost, well, 50 years ago or whatever. And I thought, how could that be? How can it change directions without coming to a stop? But it instantaneously changed directions in the blink of an eye. And now I was getting a little nervous because I had read about UFOs at that time, but I thought, is this actually one that I'm experiencing? And I thought I would never encounter with one. So each time it was going back, it got lower. And now I'm getting a little bit nervous because I'm waiting for my mom to arrive. She's not coming. And I'm alone on the street, and there's this bright light up in the sky that's getting lower. And now it's down at about 800 feet. And the strange thing was, when I looked very carefully, I could see, like, the light was in the bottom. It looked like a lens in the bottom. And what really spooked me out and really got my heart pounding was, when I looked very carefully at that light in the bottom, I could see things moving. And I thought, oh, no, not me. (laughs) You know, uh, no way. What kind of badge am I going to get for this one? Right. (laughs) No kidding. And I got kind of scared. And I thought, now I thought this thing's stalking me. This thing is going back and forth and it's looking at me. And I'm literally saying my prayers for my mom to get there quickly. 
because I thought I really had the sensation that something was going to transpire here that I wouldn't be happy with. So my heart's pounding away, you know, my heart's in my stomach. And uh, finally, you know, my mom arrives and I say, Mom, you got to get out of the car. There's a UFO up in the sky. She says, don't be silly, Rob. You know, it's probably a plane. It's a balloon. It's a helicopter. Could be a meteorite. Could be anything. It's just a star that you think is moving. I says, no, absolutely not. Get out of the car and take a look. By the time I got her to get out of the car, which was about, you know, 15 or 20 seconds, we looked up and it was gone. And I thought, great. Now I'm going to get accused of, you know, it's my imagination, right? So she just said, let's go home. You got homework to do and so on. And so I wasn't happy because I'm thinking that she's going to think I'm making this whole thing up. I'm a liar. Total, total sorry, excuse me, but just a yep. total duration of the, of the sighting was how long? Maybe 10 minutes. That's maybe a long time. Minutes. That's a long time. Yeah, because my mom said she would be like 15 minutes, maybe 20. So I went straight out, and it was when I went straight out and saw this. So I get home, and, you know, I tell the story to my dad and my brother. They just laugh at me, and I thought, great. And I was not happy. I went to my room, and I closed the door, and I was just, how would you describe maybe, you know, fuming that nobody would believe me. So I went to school the next day, and that was fine. Got involved there, and I came home. When I walked in the door, my mom was all excited, and she had the paper in her hand. And she says, Rob, Rob, that thing you saw last night, it's all written up in the papers. It's on the front page of the paper. And I said, really? And we opened it up. She read me the whole thing. Uh, it got into descriptions like 200 people saw this. Like Police officers saw it. Everybody saw it. It's on the front page of the Sarnia Observer. I got a copy of it today. You know, I have that today in hand. Um, and uh, she went on to describe on the second page of the article, it said how they had scrambled a couple of jets from the Selfridge Air Force Base on the U.S. side, and they had gone after this thing, and it tore off at supersonic speeds and left the jets in the dust, literally. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the strange thing. A few years ago, with my son, Mark, my younger son, Mark, I went to the library in Sarnia to get the microfiche um, of the story. And here's the interesting thing, Richard. This is not a lie. The only thing they had was page one of the newspaper. <laughs> page two is missing. Mm, of course. Okay. So page three and the whole rest of the newspaper was on microfiche. All the other newspapers are on microfiche, full pages. Page two is missing. I went later to all the other archives around Canada, and all of their copies of page two are gone off the microfiche. And it was page two that described how the Air Force had gone after this. And they had statements from the Air Force people, everything. But it's all gone. You you will not find it in the microfiche. But you've got the hard copy. You've got the hard copy. I don't have the hard copy. Ah. I only have the microfiche. Ah, okay. Of of page one. Yeah. Isn't that always the way, though, Rob? There's, you know, the the security camera is always inoperational at the crucial time. (laughs) The documents are suddenly, you know, they were thrown out. I know. There's a pattern here. There's a pattern here. Absolutely. So here's what happened. 
So now I'm a celebrity at school. Everybody wanted to talk to me because I was the guy who saw it and everybody saw it, read about it in the newspaper. So my friend who lived right across the street from me said, could I see a UFO? And I said, I don't know, maybe if we go on the roof one night and it's a clear night, we can see one. I just made it up. I just thought, well, why not, right? So when a night came up a couple of weeks later, it was a nice clear night. It wasn't cool. We climbed up the antenna. It's one of those antennas that has the like the X's on all the sides and you can just climb up. Oh, oh I remember tower. those. Sure. Yeah. So we lived in a one floor home and it was more of a, not a quite a steep roof. It was one floor pad style home in Sarnia. We climbed up with all our stuff, with our blankets, our pillows, and all the quote, scientific gear. I mean, we're kids <laughs> at 12, right? I had my walkie-talkies, my compass, my tape recorder, my pad, and paper to make notes. I had a flashlight. I had everything, all my scientific equipment. <laughs> We'd go up there, and we're just chit-chatting, as young boys would, and we're laying out with our blankets and our pillows, and maybe half an hour had passed. And we were getting a little cold. We were getting kind of bored. And I said to my friend, John, I said, you know, I don't think we're going to, and I went to say, see anything. I don't think we're going to, and I stopped right there in my tracks. And uh, as we were, I was looking toward the north, and I saw, we saw hundreds of lights go from the north horizon all the way across the sky, what seemed to be in the heavens, to the south horizon in literally a second and a half. And we looked at each other and we couldn't hardly talk. It's like, oh my God, did you see that? What was it? And it wasn't a Perseid meteor shower. No. And it wasn't birds, it wasn't planes, there was no sound, but there was hundreds of these hmm. lights. Now, we were looking towards the south horizon and literally 30 seconds later, they all came back. Hundreds of these lights from the south horizon straight across the sky in a second and a half to the north horizon. And we were like, holy, you know what? We were so excited and we thought, this cannot be anything that we have. Like, you know, what is this? They're not birds. The speed that it traveled, that this flotilla traveled was just incredible. So we climbed down the antenna with our stuff. My parents are at his folks' house across the street having coffee. We go in there all excited to tell them what we just saw, and they couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, we went back to my place. We were kind of PO'd, and I don't know. I think Star Trek was playing or something. Of course, so of we course. We watched that, and that was the end of it. And... You know, I always thought during my life, you know, what were those two things that I saw? The original thing that was written up in the paper, the flotilla that went all the way across the sky and back. Nobody saw that. That wasn't in the paper, that one. And all during my life, I thought, what what on earth was that? And I always wondered, is it something we had or was it truly extraterrestrial? When I told the story... Like I say, we were doing another movie, and Mark McNabb happened to, you know, happened to tell him the story, and that's when he did the research. He said, 
come back to me after talking to many CE5 groups and different people around the world. He said, Rob, we have to do a documentary. We're going to travel around the world. We're going to talk to people. And what you saw that second time was not coincidental. You two boys, as young boys, being innocent guys with open minds, wanting to see ETs, you saw them. He said, we're going to do it again, and we're going to document it. We're going to go around the world. We're going to find out how it is we can attract them, and we're going to go and do it, and we're going to make contact. So that's what we're doing. And uh, again, the documentary is Making Contact, Be Inspired. When are people going to get, I mean, obviously they'll get, to, uh, are you going to screen it at, at uh, the Alien Cosmic Expo? You know, we'll probably have a trailer there. As you know, you know, any production you do, you have to sell. We're currently actively seeking, you know, a buyer distributor of this uh, documentary. It's almost finished. Uh, we've got, you know, a couple hundred hours of material. So it's, it's not just going to be one documentary. It's probably going to be a couple or even three. But we've got the very first documentary almost finished. And probably by this fall, it'll be appearing somewhere, like whether it's on DVD or video on demand. Uh, and it won't be the only one. Like we plan on producing, you know, one or two every year because we're out there literally every six to eight weeks somewhere in the world filming, like interviewing people. We're out there in the field with them seeing stuff. And we want to share all this material that we're getting. We want to, we want to share it with other people that are interested to show you know, what it takes. Anybody can go out there and see them. You just have to be patient. You got to keep an open mind. It's better if you go out with others who are like-minded. You will see the stuff, but it's not quite as common as you might think. No, I don't imagine UFO contacts such as you've described would be all that common. Uh, and while the search for extraterrestrial intelligence continues, I'd like to talk to you about the search for intelligence right here on Earth, the four-legged variety. If you own a dog, how would you like to develop your dog's hidden intelligence to eliminate bad behavior and create the obedient, well-behaved pet of your dreams? Well, a woman named Adrian Ferricelli, a professional certified dog trainer, has helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved and obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has, no matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. Our brains are capable of learning new behaviors. Well, your dog's brain has the same plasticity, and with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. Realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. 
Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Rob Freeman is with me. He's a senior field researcher at the Center for the Scientific Study of Atmospheric Anomalies, and he's the executive producer of the documentary film Making Contact. Be inspired. I want to talk about Squamish here in, in just a moment, but first I want to ask you about the Scientific Study of Atmospheric Anomalies, the Center for Scientific Study. I mean, it's a very carefully crafted name because you're not really playing, you know, you're not tipping anything off. You're not saying we think it's this, we think it's that. It's, you know, you're not hitting us over the head with UFOs. It's atmospheric anomalies, which really speaks to the, the skepticism that you, you go into this with. Yes, so it's CSSAA, the Center for the Scientific Study of Atmospheric Anomalies. And we do come at this from a skeptical point of view. As much as, you know, I've had experiences, and I believe 100%, the problem is not everything you see is ET. I mean, you know, I'm going to say 80% of it's explainable, and the other 15%, you know, when you really delve into it, may also be explainable and it may only be the last five percent so i don't like to say it but you know much of the stuff you see on the internet much of the stuff people have seen is probably explainable and you know when we talk to our friends at mufon i think they would they would back me up on that but there is a small percentage that's unexplained that may be et and i mean until you actually get you know abducted an ET craft, how can you say for sure? There's just so much stuff up there that um, from meteors to uh, weather balloons to uh, planes to um, uh, satellites, uh, there's a lot of phenomenon up there. And until you spend a lot of time and, and you know, do your research and study, you know, how do you know what it really is? And that five percent that may be truly unexplainable. Are you are you open to the idea that when when and if we ever get to the bottom of what this is really all about, it may be something entirely entirely different than this uh, this idea that you know these craft are piloted by entities from some distant galaxy. I mean, it could be something entirely different. Not that it it would lessen the you know the the impact or the or the the strangeness of this whole thing but it might be nothing to do with you know interstellar travelers well you know um because we're tuned into this whole subject we've had a lot of strange experiences happen as well so i'm happy you mentioned this richard because you know one of the pictures i have it looked 
from another dimension or going out of. So, you know, conventionally people might think that these craft have to travel, you know, hundreds of light years to get here and that's impossible. What if there's a way that they can go from one place to another instantly? Somehow through some kind of a time warp, through some kind of a wormhole? I got to tell you an experience and, um, you know, if you don't have time for it or if you can't put it on your podcast, no problem. But here's what we had happen. And, you know, when we actually meet at some point at the uh, symposium, uh, we'll show you the documentation. When we were in Australia, uh, Liz of our group, Liz Corin, she was renting an apartment in Toronto and she had to pay her rent for the March 1st. And this is of last year. And so she told her ex, uh, you know, she gets along just fine with him now that we're now that they're divorced, <laughs> but they share two little boys and she has an apartment in Toronto or did at that time. We were going to be in Australia on a three week expedition over the March 1st time period and her rent was due and she wanted to make sure her rent was paid. So she asked her ex who has a key to their, to her apartment uh, to go in and take the check, the rent check, tear it out of the, um, go into the dresser, and she had her checkbook there, tear it out, take it down to her landlord for March 1st, on March 1st. So March 1st, he goes in and faithfully goes to take the check out of the checkbook, tears it out, takes it down to the landlord. The landlord takes it and, you know, Several days later, he deposited to the Ukrainian credit union. And Liz, while we're in Australia, saw it go through her account. She's got a screenshot of the check, okay? And he, the landlord wrote the number of her apartment on the check. When we got back from Australia, and I once again, I'll show you all the paperwork and everything, because this is bizarre. And it may play into, you know, all the kinds of things that we're involved with, with the ETs and everything. We just don't know. There's so much that's not known about this subject. When we get back from Australia, she had other bills to pay. So she goes into her dresser drawer at the top to get her checkbook out. And lo and behold, the check is still in her checkbook. Okay. Hmm. And it's like... This is incredible. Wait a minute. The check was torn out. She calls her ex up and she says, did you not make that payment? And he said, yes, I did. I tore it out of the checkbook. I took it down there and gave it to him. And he didn't write a, 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 a duplicate, maybe made a mistake and so wrote another check. No. Uh, all the She has two check books, one to 50 and 50 to uh, 51 to 100. And... The check number, I think it's check number eight or something like that. I don't have the stuff in front of me. But the the check that she gave him, uh, there was no other duplicates written. Like the same number that appeared on that check that she gave him and that's recorded at the bank was the same number that's left in the checkbook. Oh, my. It's like, how could this be? Okay. So we, we, we covered off everything. Like, did somehow he take a picture of it and make a deposit? And the checkbook stayed. The check stayed in the checkbook. So we went to the bank. 
Liz and Marcus went to the bank and the bank manager confirmed that it was a paper check that was deposited at their branch and he confirmed that the teller stamped her wet stamp on the back and evidenced by the number that was on that stamp and then said this is her this is her stamp that that was put on the back so he said it was a paper check that went through our system we don't have the copy of it because unfortunately once they're photographed they're destroyed for you know because you'd have piles of paper stored in banks. They don't do that anymore. Much like, page, copy. much like page two of the, uh, the Sony yes. newspaper. <laughs> yes. But they, they have a copy of it and gave us and signed a copy that it's a true certified copy. And they said this was a paper check that went through our bank. And does the paper check, number, does the paper mm-hmm. check number that went through the bank match the paper, uh, the check number that still exists in the checkbook, miraculously? Yes, and get this. I, I saw the check that's still in her book. I took a picture of it. I blew up the copy that went through the bank, and you place it over one another, and they're exact. Oh every my. single dot, every the, her signature, the inflection in her signature, it's exact. We're not talking about close. We're talking right. about exact. What leads you to think? It, it, sorry. What leads you to think that it might be related to this whole field of study? Yes. So we took it to handwriting people, and they have confirmed that this is the exact same check. It's like, how could it be mm. that it went through the whole banking system, yet it's still in the checkbook, right? And is this some form of an elaborate hoax? Well, no. It's not. It was torn out. So we did a search, and I encourage you to do this after we uh, hang up, about multiple timelines. Okay. Ah, okay. Search multiple timelines. Now, we talked to scientific people, and they said since the 50s, this idea of multiple timelines has been proposed in the top universities by scientific people multiple timelines somehow we have gotten we have witnessed here a timeline split so there's two timelines there's a timeline of when Liz's ex-husband took the check out of the book gave it to the landlord and somehow the timeline remains of where the check is still in the book the check that is still in the book does not have the apartment number written down on the bottom right-hand corner. The landlord, when he received the check, he wrote the apartment number of Liz's apartment on there for identification purposes, and that is shown also in the copy that the bank has. Yet, when you look at the check, still in her book, it doesn't have that written on it. It's the same check, okay? So if you Google search and you do some scientific research, the mathematics proves that these, you know, scientific people and professors and so on, top scientists of the world, they propose that the mathematics proves that there's multiple timelines that exist. And they say that, you know, you and I are talking right now on another timeline, you know, it could be an infinite number of them, and it could be exactly the same. But there's some timelines of these parallel timelines that are slightly different. Some are running ahead in time, some are running behind in time, some are a little bit different, and some are a lot different. And you'll find stories, 
you'll find accounts of people that experienced um, timelines that separate. It's a, this is a, something a, we would. This is something we'd normally find in a Philip K. Dick novel, but not not so. Yes. Yeah, we've got proof of it. We've got one hundred percent proof of it. And so, what I'm getting at is perhaps the UFO phenomenon may be interlinked with this. Somehow they can use other timelines. Somehow they can use, I don't know what they can use, but they can get here, and it's not by jet propulsion using uh, fossil fuel. They can somehow bend things around, and they can be here, in a, they can come across the universe in a flash of a second. Or, and, or uh, I've been I've been talking to some researchers about uh, unidentified submersible uh, objects. Uh, maybe they m- maybe they're here. Maybe they've always been here. Yes. Now, once again, this idea of multiple timelines. We did a lot of research. We've spent hundreds of hours checking this out, and we've talked to scientists about it too, and we've talked to other people that have experienced it. And a common example that they cite to us is where, for example, a woman might go to Walmart and want to buy a blouse. And there's a purple one, a blue one, a yellow one, a red one. Which one do I buy? They're on sale. I like them all. I can't buy them all. I'm going to buy one. She says, okay, I'll take the yellow one. I like them all. She goes to the cashier. She purchases the yellow one. It gets put in the bag. She goes home, and lo and behold, when she opens the bag, it's not the yellow one. (laughs) It's the red one. Now, you know, go on the Internet and search out stories like this, and you're going to find them. And people say to themselves, oh, I must have got distracted and put the red one in the bag at the last second. Or I had them all at the counter, and the clerk put the wrong one in the bag, so they brush it off as nothing. Right, okay. right. This can be a subject for a whole another podcast, but there's, there's an example of an, after another. It sounds I a little propose, bit like it sounds a bit like the 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 uh, the Schrodinger's cat experiment. Yeah, you know, that that <laughs> that the possibility the possibility we live in a in a field of endless potential or possibilities, and so until you actually look in the bag, it could be either a red one or a yellow one. Yeah, exactly. So I I don't know. I can't say how this is connected. I just know that because we're searching out and we're experiencing and we're traveling, we seem to be experiencing some extra things that are a little bit beyond the norm. Well, let's just hope there's a multiple timeline where the Leafs actually uh, win the Stanley Cup. Well, Uh, (laughs) it's it's true. And I only hope, too, that, you know, if this check thing, uh, is true, then how come it actually did take the money out of her account? You know, she was hoping maybe it got left in her account, right, for her rent. Right. But, uh, we yeah. just have a, anyway, a, a sorry, few minutes. No, no, no I'm bit. so glad you, you shared that story because that's an absolute mind blower. Uh, and I would love to explore that further, multiple timelines. Uh, just in the few minutes that remain, let's just talk a little bit about the Squamish Orb. You went out to BC and uh, tell me about what they've been seeing out there, this beautiful yeah. backdrop, this huge rock called the Chief on this beautiful idyllic trail, 
And so you're out there with your, that's quite a, a setup you have. You call it your, your weapon of mass detection, uh, yeah, this camera. WMD. <laughs> yeah. So tell me yeah, what you as saw. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, we got invited by Charles Lamoureux. He's quite a, um, uh, you know, he goes out with his infrared and night vision equipment and he spots a lot of things and orbs out in the Vancouver area. We were invited out to BC and to Vancouver, uh, to see him and we spent uh, a couple nights out in the field with him, uh, you know, capturing different orbs and stuff. And the next, I remember we were out there for a few days. We wanted to maybe go up the coast a bit and see what we might see. The weather forecast wasn't that great. It was actually forecasting rain in the Vancouver area, but not so much north of Vancouver. We invited Charles to come along with us with all our equipment and his equipment. And we'd already been out with him for a night or two. And he said, you know what? It's looking like rain. I'm I'm just going to stay in tonight. You guys go ahead. And he said, why don't you go up to the Britannia Bay area? There's an old mine up there. You know, maybe you might see something. I've heard stories. So we got in the car, you know, in the morning. We traveled up. And the weather actually got better. We stopped into the Britannia Bay Area, into the gift shop, and we talked to the ladies that ran that shop, and we said, you know, is there anything strange seen in these parts? And she says, as a matter of fact, here in Britannia Bay, no, but if you go a little further north to Squamish, B.C., where the rock, the chief is, there's been orbs seen above the mountain there. Why don't you take your equipment and go go up there and see what you could find? So we got in the car, kept going. Uh, I forget how far it is further, maybe another 20 minutes north. And we saw the chief, and we started going in the back roads, sort of underneath and around, thinking where we could set up. We were in the one spot there you see in the clip. We found that spot. And we looked at each other. There was myself, Marcus McNabb. There was Lisette Corin and Breslin Martin. Breslin was um, another associate of mine. I do have a nap called Project Capture, and she's the one that posts all the uh, um, different sightings that people get. She posts that on her app. So she came with us that particular time. But when we arrived at that spot... We all looked at each other and agreed that this would be a perfect spot, and we just got the sense that we're going to see something that night. I can't explain it other than to say we all agreed we're going to see something tonight. And where does that come from? Don't know. All I know is that we felt very strongly, all of us, and we all agreed. So she went out over in the rocks, and she did a little meditation. Marcus and Liz, they you know parked themselves in the back of the Jeep, got very comfortable. I set all the equipment up and we started doing time lapse and different stuff. I've got night vision, I've got full spectrum, I've got uh, zoom cameras, I've got, you know, time lapse, I got everything there. I've got near infrared, far infrared, I've got thermal, I've got all the different cameras. And we set it up and I was doing a lot of you know, getting a lot of footage of really nothing, just had it running. And I didn't want to kill all my batteries, so I had turned the stuff off. You know, I paused everything. And we were just, it was now dark, and it was, I think it was, if I have my time right, it was like 11.45 or something. 
I had my equipment off. It was ready to go. In other words, it was on, but I wasn't recording anything. Marcus, Liz, Breslin, and and, uh, myself were just talking. And Breslin happened to say, she looked over and she said, what's that? Like that light. And we saw a light moving across above the chief. And my first reaction was I turned, I look at all my equipment, and I thought, okay, night vision. Just hit the record on the night vision, and I will I will get to the other cameras over the next several seconds and turn them all on. It was moving at a good speed, and I could see that it was going to be going into the trees when I kind of projected real quick. I looked at it, and I, I you know, I turned my night vision zoom camera on, my zoom scope. It was, a, so I think it's 10 times zoom. And I thought, I've just got to follow it in the screen and I'll get to the other cameras. And I thought, if I, if I move my attention off the screen to press the buttons on the, all the other cameras, I'm going to miss it. So I just kept my eye on the screen of the night vision and I moved the tripod to follow along. And literally just a few seconds later, it went into the trees. The entire clip is only 10 seconds. So if I had taken any time to turn all the other cameras on, my thermal cameras and all that, I would not have captured it. I got very badly criticized that, you know, with all this, you know, $100,000 worth of equipment and all you could get was the night vision. Well, we're lucky that I got that. Right. You know, it is, I had it, the presence in mind to turn the camera on and stay on it. And right. it's gone within 10 seconds. Right? right. And it is spectacular footage. I've seen it. <clears throat> and uh, it, it's difficult for me to gauge the size and so forth. You could help me with that. I'm terrible at this sort of thing. But, I mean, to me, when I'm looking at it, it looks like the moon. It, it's just that big. Well, I think that... Um uh, the chief investigator for uh, MUFON, uh, Dave Palachuk, he spent quite a bit of time uh, checking it out, researching this to see if it was legitimate. We even went back there. We did another expedition where we went back to that site and we got all the different um, stats on where the ISS would have been seen that night. And we kind of, you know, replayed it all back out. And the ISS would have been like, I think it was 12 minutes later, and it would have been in the area, but it would not have been seen. It was below the level of the mountain the entire time. And we went back and tried to debunk our own sighting. We couldn't debunk it. And we used several different um, uh, uh, data forms, like data of where the ISS was. And Dave did the same thing. He got all the data on where the ISS would be seen. Because people have said, "Oh, it was the ISS; it was in the area at the time." Well, Couldn't, I'm going to pull a Rendell. I'm going to pull a Rendlesham Forest on you. You sure it wasn't a lighthouse? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so it's been a. It's been you know people have accused it of being everything, including a car driving up there, a drone being up there. Uh, all I can say is that it moved across the sky steady. There was no flashing lights. It was very bright. And when it disappeared into the trees, you can see it light up the trees behind and you can see it light up the trees in front when you really take a close up. And to me, that's what nails it. 
is that the way it shines both front and back. Right, right. It's spherical. It's, wh- it's, it's, it's yeah. got three dimensions to it. It's, uh, it's an orb. Yes, and while, you know, it, it does look very big, you, you do have to bear in mind that night vision does make lights look bigger than they really are. I think that I'd have to pull the report. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe Dave has estimated it to be three to eight meters or something, or three to eight, is it three to eight feet. I'm not sure. Three right. to eight meters, I think. You have to pull that up. But he's estimated it to be a fairly large orb. And he's seen videos and stuff of orbs, many orbs over the years, and he puts this right up in about the top four or five, I guess. It is spectacular. And, uh, we're going to have to have you back on and talk about this in more more in depth because I would like to know about the history of of, of Chief Rock. I'm I'm guessing it has uh, to the um, the Native Canadians that live there. Perhaps it has some spiritual significance. Maybe yes. maybe these sightings yes. go back. You know, I'm thinking of like the brown lights in uh, in in uh, is it North Carolina? I think in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, yeah. Maybe there's some connection there. But uh, I tell you, Rob, you came loaded for bear. Great stories, great information, <laughs> and um, it, great meeting you. And I look forward to meeting you face to face at uh, the Alien Cosmic Expo, June 22, 23, 24. So people can uh, they can go to aliencosmicexpo.com. It's being held out at the uh, the beautiful Toronto Airport Marriott Hotel, fantastic facility, and uh, like look forward to seeing you there. Great, thanks for having me on the show. If anybody wants to check out our doc, it's MCBI Project. You know, on social media, MCBI Making Contact, Be Inspired, MCBI Project. And uh, certainly look forward to meeting you, Richard. And I appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you, Rob. All the best. Thanks so much, Richard. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs here, I'm going to give you the heads up on episode 60, which drops this Wednesday. But before that, you know, the other day I was downtown at another studio recording and mixing another podcast with my crew. And one of the guys asked me how I managed to keep up uh, with such a hectic schedule at my age. He actually said that at your age. How do you do it? punk but it's true one of the things that keeps me going is my life extension mega green tea extract life extensions mega green tea extract provides powerful antioxidant effects throughout the body green tea contains health promoting polyphenols including a powerful antioxidant which has been the subject of extensive scientific research why don't you pour on these multiple health benefits for yourself green tea is a powerful antioxidant it supports cell membrane integrity boosts liver detoxification, enhances immune function, and helps maintain healthy blood cholesterol, LDL and triglyceride levels, and much more. Life Extension's Mega Green Tea Extract is decaffeinated, yet it contains more polyphenols in one capsule than seven cups of green tea. The Chinese have used green tea for therapeutic purposes since 2000 BC. More recently, volumes of published scientific findings attest to its multiple health benefits. One capsule a day of mega green tea extract is all you need. Give your body what it needs. Order right now from Life Extension and save 25%. Just go to smartclickidea.com. Smartclickidea.com. That's smartclickidea.com. Coming up on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, searching for alien life inside the visible light spectrum. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new 
Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.